chapter 5. I want to talk about swearing. That's the topic for today. When you, every once in a while, I'll run into a top uh, a verse that I had to ponder on, and when you, uh, when you've dedicated to preaching every word of a, of a. Uh, of a book, you're going to have to deal with every verse. So we're now on the one about swearing in James, and I have had to ponder on this one all week to try to figure out, A, what it means and how to apply it. Uh, and hopefully uh, the Lord will add his blessing to it. James five, twelve. But above all things. That starts it out very serious here, don't it? <laughs> In other words, this first, remember this first. My brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and for you youngers, that yay just means yes. It's not celebrating. Uh, let your yay be yay and your nay, nay. And no, that's not a, a dance or something like that. Let your nay be nay as well. Your no. Lest ye fall into condemnation. So, James brings his letter, he's bringing it to a conclusion here. And he's centered us back already on the promise of James 1.12, which is really what the whole book is about. Blessed is the man that endures temptation. So it's about, this whole book has been about the pitfalls to our endurance. And I don't think that this is necessarily unrelated he, this is coming on the heels of his return in verse 7 through verse 11 about our need to endure. And he brings up the, the, our eschatology. The Lord is coming. His coming is nigh. He, the, the, the end of all things, the judge is standing at the door. Uh, our reward is with him. We have seen the end of the Lord in the great examples. And now he says, but above all things, swear not. So as he has come... So, so this is necessarily related to that. And he is leading in the very next verse into the fellowship of the church. Verses 13 through 16, and we're going to deal with in the starting next week, about the need of fellowship to, and how that relates to our endurance. So we need a proper eschatology and we need a proper ecclesiology. So we have the eschatology in verses 7 through 11, the ecclesiology, that's our understanding of the church, in verses 13 through 16, and then we have this very odd non sequitur, it seems. Don't swear. This, I, you struggle a little bit with how this fits into the story. So how does it fit in? What does the prohibition of swearing have to do with what came before it? Our endurance, 
and what comes after it, or what comes after it, church fellowship. Does it bridge the gap between the two, and if so, how? These are the questions I've been pondering on all week, and, and I, I know uh, Ken and I were talking a little, little bit about it on Wednesday. Does it relate to the eschatological imperative, endure, or to the imperative of church fellowship? Is there any among you that's sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. How does this fit? And I'm going to tell you, I don't know. <laughs> all right? I've pondered all week on how it fits contextually, but I'm going to give you the best possible answer that I have real quick before we dive into the text itself. It's difficult to tell where it fits into the context at face value. No doubt it highlights honest worship of God, reverence in worship to God, especially His name, and honest integrity towards all men. And we're going to talk about the meaning of that as we get into it. But how does it fit? It neither seems to be a mechanism on face value of endurance or an integral necessity to worship, but I think it indeed is. We're left to see it as some kind of bridge between these two thoughts. We're seeing it as this. Brethren and sisters in Christ, if you cannot honestly communicate in this world, you're not going to endure. Alright? If you can't be a person of honesty you're not going to be able to endure. And if you are not a person of honesty, you cannot rightly contribute to church fellowship. All right, there's me trying to make it fit. All right, but no, it, it, it's true, and I think it's necessarily bridging a thought. I think in, its, in, in an essence, though, it's standing alone as its own thought. But I think it is connected, and there is a reason why the Holy Spirit has it where it is here. And that is the, uh, this word honesty is very important to our understanding of what is being said. Uh, honesty demonstrated not just with words, but with actions. Uh, actions that prove the honesty of what we have said. Uh, are the things that prove us to be sincerely what we say that we are. Turn, if you will, just a couple pages back. Just a couple pages to Hebrews 13, where it says this in verse 18. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. In other words, willing to live without hypocrisy. What's hypocrisy, by the way? What does it mean to be a hypocrite? Yeah. Okay. Where where your words don't mash up with your actions, right? What your confession doesn't match with your practice. The word hypocrite just is an actor, someone with a mask. They're playing a role. They're acting out a role, and that's all they're doing. That's not who they really are. That's not 
the Christian way. The Christian way is to have a good conscience before God. And we pray for one another towards that end. That in all things we are willing to live honestly in this world. And you're saying, now what on earth does honesty have to do with swearing? Well, let's dive into the text now. Consider what the text says. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. All right, plain, straightforward speech here by James. And there is a priority he is setting. He is saying in the very first few words, this is important. A priority is being set. Uh, This is to be done, or rather to be avoided, before all things. That's the actual wording, before all things. Uh, This resolve, then, is a priority. It's a priority that you swear not. Or rather, it's a priority that you have a life where your yes, it means yes, and your no means no. Does that make sense so far? This is a priority for you. And for me. Uh, so it's meant to give us, uh, uh, to patient endurance, it's meant to give us some sort of quality to what that endurance looks like. Uh, a, an honest endurance. And therefore is necessarily the first step to what follows to an honest fellowship in the church. There is something you must resolve to do and be that is tied to what comes before and what comes after. And therefore, he sets the priority. But above all things, or before all things, don't do this, or rather do this. The message then to the church, don't swear. Or rather, do its antithesis. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. This imperative... Let's look at a little bit of the history of it. Would these words seem familiar, right? Uh, James isn't just drawing these words out of a hat. They are based upon the teaching of Jesus Christ himself, and we're going to get there. But the, this imperative is, is important for us to keep. I can't, I've made some notes here. Uh, never mind, I can't even read my own writing. <laughs> so, so the imperative is in the present and must be continually kept to be resolved. So there's a present tense imperative. The aspect is this continually do, or this rather continually don't do. Uh, the precept is a, it's then for practical Christian daily living. Now, this verb, to swear, means to take an oath. Uh, or to make a vow or a promise with an oath. It is not, it's not in and of itself an evil thing. Uh, in fact, some of you all have mortgages. <laughs> Believe it or not, you took an oath when you took that mortgage out, right? So we're not necessarily saying this is an evil thing. So we're not going to say this is a blanket prohibition for all swearing, for all vow-taking, uh, but, but it does seem to limit us on how we approach this subject of taking vows and making promises. God, by the way, God himself swore. So, and, we're, and, and we're to be perfect as our fa- heavenly father in heaven is perfect. And he swore, right? 
Hebrews chapter 6. Because he, God, could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And we have the entire covenantal ideology uh, that comes out of this very idea that God makes vows. God makes covenants. So this is not a blanket say, don't ever make any promises. You're going to have to make vows. You're going to have to make promises in your life. So this is about what kind of vows, not necessarily a prohibition in those things. God has made covenants. He has swore by himself. Um, uh, hence, uh, the law itself. The law itself, if you turn to De- Deuteronomy for a second, let's, get, let's, let's couch ourselves a little bit on what the law actually says. And then we're going to start seeing how this, in the days of James and in the days of Christ, when they preached on this, was uh, being thwarted uh, by those, by others' tradition, or by traditions of others. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and uh, verse 13 says this, uh, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear. All right. You shall swear by his name. All right, so there's a command. It says you're going to fear him, you're going to serve him, and you're going to swear by his name. So there, this is not one of many texts that are like this. Hence the law itself. And by the way, the law is just and holy and good. Romans 7, right? That, that's the nature of the law. The law itself talks about swearing. It permits swearing. Uh, but it permits swearing on this idea that you were doing it in the fear of the Lord, that you were doing it in service to Him, and you were doing it in His name alone. That is what the law says. So God swore. The law talks about swearing. And, uh, and we run into this problem that you and I are sinners. Are everybody willing to admit today that you're a sinner? All right, uh, I'm not going to lead you into the sinner's prayer or anything like that if you do. But we're, we're, we're sinners. So as sinners, and I'm a saved sinner, but I still have some very, very uh, sinful clutches in my life. And so do you. So we are potentially false. We are potentially untrue. And when we vow, we may vow foolishly. And we, uh, we, we foolishly believe that we know and can control the outcome which we have bound ourselves. That's why I turn to Ecclesiastes. We're just trying to get a fuller understanding of the subject matter. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Uh, just let the book fall to the middle, which is Psalms, and then start going right until you find Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And it says, it says this in the very first few verses. It says, keep your foot when you go to the house of God. So keep your paths straight. And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash. Here's, here's, here's the point. Be not rash with your mouth. Let not your heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and you're upon earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes through the multitude of business and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. 
When you vow a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which you have vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. We can be very rash with our mouth. Um, now, well, I'm not getting into the ways I've applied this in my own life yet, but uh, I, I will. But, but realize that we can act rashly, we can act stupidly, we can say things with no intention of pain. Uh, don't be like that. That's already the idea that James is getting to. Solomon says, hold your mouth, especially when before God. Which, is there a time when you're not before God? No. <laughs> All right, so uh, according to the law about swearing in, in, in uh, Deuteronomy, uh, we swear by his name alone. Uh, every, why? Because everything is done in fear and service to him. So it's wise not to vow according to uh, Ecclesiastes there. there, there uh, the word to swear used by James describes the fault, is used to describe the folly of two people, one Christian and one pagan in the Bible. The first one is Peter. Peter, when he denied Christ, swore. And he used swearing to uphold his lie. A picture of the use of swearing when one knows what one is speaking is false. And then there's Herod. Herod vowed, he swore, whatever, up to the half of my kingdom, you can have it. He spoke rashly. And then was sorrowed when they said, I want John the Baptist's head. That's where the word itself is used in the scripture. But Christ has talked about it as well. And I think this will really get to the heart of what is meant. Let's look at the two times Christ spoke about this issue. And really, James is just building on what his readers already knew Christ said. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Our kingdom ethics. Matthew 5 says this. In verse 33. Again. And what's he doing here? That word again. He's connecting with false traditions that are being taught about how the law of God is kept. And he, as the true lawgiver, is straightening, straightening up traditions. Traditions that have been brought by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these people about how, the, how they can be guiltless before the law. And he says again, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself. Well, what does he mean by forswear here? You're, you shouldn't perjure yourself. Don't commit perjury. But shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Now, what's he saying here? He is saying that every oath that you give in the name of the Lord, according to the law, you shouldn't perjure yourself. And as long as you do that, you're keeping the law. 
Now let me apply this for a second. How many of this you all did this as a kid? I promise I'll give you $5 tomorrow if you give it to me today. I promise. You all do that as a kid? Nobody did that as a kid? Am I the only one that crossed my fingers as a kid? All right, thank you, thank you. There's, there's one other sinner here among us. What was I doing when I was crossing my fingers? I was swearing. But I was swearing in a way that made it, made it okay for me to lie. Because it was okay for me to lie because I had my fingers crossed. All right? So here is a tradition that has been set up. If you swear in the name of the Lord according to the law, you better keep your oaths. So how do we get around that if there's times where we want to lie? How can I be a liar and still keep the law? So Jesus Christ addresses this. I say to you, swear not at all. But what kind of swearing is he talking about? He's not talking about the kind of swearing that is, that is spoken of in the law. Neither by heaven. If you notice something, heaven is not God. And it's not the name of the Lord. We're going to see this more when we get to Matthew 23. But he said, don't swear by heaven, for it is God's throne. So you... Well, I, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy own head, or by thy head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay, or yes, yes, no, no, the same as James. For whatsoever is more than these comes of evil. Now what is he saying here? I want you to note that they were deliberately creating traditions whereby they could swear by something that is not God's name. And we're going to see how that works out here in Matthew 23. And they say, well, you cannot, you don't, you, you never perjure yourself if you were swearing by God's name. You shall perform to the Lord your oath. That is the oath that is made in his name. And that's when you're perjuring. That's when you're really sinning is when you're using his name and you lie about it. So we're going to start swearing by something else. And then it's okay for us to... It's okay if we don't, break, if we don't keep those oaths. If something happens... I, I got my fingers crossed on that one, right? Uh, it's, it's okay under those circumstances if we don't keep our oaths. That's the tradition that was being dealt with here. Now, it's going to become more clear in a second. But the religious establishment allowed for religious use of swearing, invoking something less than the Lord, unnecessarily to gird up a promise that one makes. They only gave the appearance of honor and veracity to the ones they were swearing to, but they were purposely swearing into something, else, something less so they could possibly not be guilty of perjury if found false. Now I'll turn to Matthew 23 and let's see how this tradition develops. 
Matthew 23. I don't know how much time I have. I got plenty of time. All right. Matthew 23 and verse 16. Matthew 23, 16. Just further proof of my thesis that the readers already understood and knew what Matthew was, and therefore Matthew was written very early, probably before Acts, but because he seems to put these two texts together. All right, so uh, what did I say? Matthew 23, 16. We're going to have several verses here to read. Woe! To you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. You catch that already. They're saying, if you swore by the temple, and you somehow broke that, that's nothing. You haven't done anything to make yourself guilty. It's nothing. But, whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple... He's a debtor. If he breaks that covenant, he's a debtor. You see how they're creating this false dichotomy that you can be dishonest over here. But you better not say the gold of the temple because that represents the glory of God and then you have really, you've come too close to invoking the name of the Lord here. So you've been, you fools, he says, and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. You're still dealing with the presence of God. That's what he was saying in Matthew 5. He's saying, okay, you're swearing by heaven, but what is heaven? It's God's throne. Oh, you're swearing by earth. What is earth then? It's God's footstool. You haven't escaped invoking God. You haven't escaped your you haven't escaped this idea that you are live to live under his rule and fear him and serve him says, whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. Verse 18. So they say, okay, you swore by the altar, that's okay. <laughs> All right, it's okay if you lied and you swore by the altar. That's nothing. You're not guilty. But whosoever swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's guilty. Guilt only is applied in certain circumstances. Because if you're swearing by the gift on the altar, you're 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 dealing with that which is offered up unto the Lord and dedicated to the Lord, and therefore you're guilty. You're, you see the false dichotomy here. Ye fools and blind, you fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, swears by it and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, swears by it and by him that dwells therein. And he that shall swear by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him that sits thereon. Now, we see really kind of the tradition here that is being dealt with. Note here the issue. Some oaths, according to the traditions that they had developed, some oaths were important and should be kept, and some oaths are not as important, and it's okay if you break them. Now, we already read Hebrews chapter 13. We should be willing. This should be our will in our life. In all things, 
How many things? All of them. To live honestly. This is what's being addressed here. So, we, so, so you can lie, according to them, if you cross your fingers. It's okay now to tell a lie. It's okay now to be dishonest in your life. It's okay to cheat people in business because you crossed your fingers. You didn't swear by the name of the Lord. You just, you, you, you just, you just said, on my mother's grave, I will make sure, you know, you, you, did, some, you, 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 you did whatever it is to get them to believe you, and you were in, then you went ahead and broke your word. There is nothing that we can promise or swear to do in the future that does not fall under the rule of God. That's the message of Christ. We're, we've been dealing with that in Sunday school, right? How much is under His rule? Everything. There, there, there's nothing that you can say that somehow operates independent of God. There's nothing. There's nothing that is beyond his control. And if we swear by God, we bring him into our folly. If we swear by something less than God, we make that thing an idol. And our wrangling to deceive while pretending to be honest is a denial of the God of truth. Deuteronomy 32.4, he's a God of truth. What, why should there ever be a lie that escapes our lips? And we made something a lesser God. What, what are they doing here? They're making little lesser gods and saying, I can swear by this because you swear by the greater, right? Hebrews 6, you're always swearing by the greater. So they make these lesser gods of earth or, or, or altars or whatever, and then that god allows them to lie, so they're basically committing idolatry. So we see the idolatrous nature of all this. That's the fuller rebuke of Christ. Where not, and, and, and what is James doing? He's basically uh, saying... In a summary form, the broader things of what Christ taught in Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount and the hypocrite sermon. <laughs> I don't have a better name for it. Uh, we swear by the greater. If we swear by heaven, we have exalted something above God. If we swear by the earth, you exalt the earth. If you swear by anything else, and the idea here is any other such like vote. Don't swear in any of these ways or any other way that's even remotely like this. Don't let that be your kind of speech. Don't practice to deceive, in other words. That's all this is. It's just craftiness. It's, it's, a, it's, it's like a, 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 good, a good lawyer can take someone who murdered someone, get them on the stand, and says, were you ever alone in the room with them? And they can honestly say, no. I was never alone in the room with them because if I was in there, I was not alone. <laughs> we weren't alone because so, they were there. So the, it's the practice to deceive. That's what we're dealing with here when we're talking about swearing. The practice to deceive. I know Christians that are... No, let me rephrase that. 
I know people who profess Christ that are known to be dishonest in business. To constantly be giving their word, even making contracts, and not following through. That shouldn't be you. If you make, if you, I'm not getting into the positive part here, but if you make an oath, pay it. Uh, it's uh, Psalm 15. It says, talks about the righteous person who swears to his own hurt and doesn't turn away from it. Whatever happened to this idea, my word is my bond. That's what, that's what this is getting to, just being honest. I think we haven't really gotten to the heart of the matter, though. And once again, this isn't talking about don't take out a mortgage. <laughs> if you're applying it like that, you're applying it wrong. Now, you could talk about maybe this is talking about frivolous, just frivolous swearing, which is why I always feel a little silly uh, when, when I'm told I need to pledge every day or something like that. Uh, and I, I, it just serves a frivolousness to it. But, but not necessarily replying it that way. This is, not a, this is about practicing to deceive. And I don't think we get to the heart of the matter. Matthew Poole said this, All swearing is not forbidden any more than Matthew 5.34, for oaths are made to use by holy men of the Old Testament, Genesis 21, 24, 1 Kings 17. And the use of oath is permitted and approved by God Himself, Psalm 15.4 and Hebrews 6. But such oaths as are false, rash, vain, without just cause, or even customary. Why, why constantly go through customary bow-taking? Or in frequent ordinary discourse. And he gives 1 Kings 19.2, Jeremiah 5.2, Matthew 5.37. The question we should ask then is, how are we going to apply this? And I think we've already got an answer. First of all, don't be quick to make pledges. Remember, uh, rash, pledge, rash pledges, rash vows rash swearings are potentially foolish. Devote, don't, don't be quick to do that. And the first folly is to appeal to God for our, da- our da- daily vanities. And we talked about how that is, uh, how that is uh, uh, unbiblical, because, but it's also to appeal to something less than God in order to deceive is this great idolatry, this great profanity that is happening. See, the profanity... You know, we're talking about here, we say, we say, this Bible says you shouldn't, this verse says you shouldn't use profanity. Yes, you should be honest. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's the meaning here. Uh, so don't, don't be rash, don't be quick, and be ready to keep your word. And that's how he applies this. Uh, he says, let your yea, yeah, let your yes be yes, and your no, no. That's two things here that this means. What does it mean, let your yes be yes? It means speak simply. Okay, just, be, just, just give, give a simple affirmation. Uh, and you should be able to do that. We should strive to have such a character that if, someone, that if we say yes or if we say no, 
That is what is meant. That should be what people think of our character. Let this be uh, your character. But it also, more than simplicity, is honesty. Let your yes that you speak be the yes that you are practicing. Let the no that you speak in your affirmation be the no that you're practicing. That's the idea that is getting. Your, your, your character matters. Whether or not people think you are honest matters. I, I don't... Well, I do understand because I, the desire to lie, even about stupid small stuff, is just always present with every single one of us. Right? But this is our sanctification here. Just you simply meaning what you say. And even if it hurts you, following through with it is very, very important. Let your words be spoken, Matthew Poole again said, be spoken in truth and sincerity, your speech seconded by your action. Accustom yourself to truth and plainness in speaking, and that will take away the occasion of swearing. And Bangal said this, let your yea be the same in word as it is in deed. Let your yea be the same in word as in deed. And then, of course, there is the consequences. Christ commented, on his own words, and said, everything that is this kind of talk comes from evil. James gives a commentary. After all, he is been talking about, has been talking about eschatology, what things shall be. And here he says, lest you fall finally and completely in the end into condemnation. Now you can take these words a different way. You could say that this word condemnation or this fall in the judgment here does not mean final judgment that we're talking about. Uh, uh, if God judges us, we are not condemned with the world. Uh, and, and it's true. We, we have passed from death into life. We shall not come into condemnation. Everyone here that is truly saved shall not. But coming on the heels of what we're talking about eschatology I, and the fact that the word that is used for judgment brings this idea lest I finally and lest you finally and completely in the end prove to be false and fall into judgment Revelation chapter 21 verse 7 or is it verse 8 I can't remember the fearful the unbelieving, the adulterers, the fornicators, and all liars. I hope that's not a word that can ever be used to describe the character of anyone here. But I hope the character is, that person there, he's a child of God. There's something different about him. He's, he's, he's honest. She's honest. She says something and she does it. He, says, he, he keeps his word. Because that's the character of God in us. I hope you received something from the word of God this morning. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll be dismissed. There, there is no invitation. 
I mean, there is no altar call. I'm not trying to twist your arms and try to get you to do anything. But if the Lord spoke to you, you need to take care of it. And, and if there's any confession that needs to be made, it needs to be made to him. But the invitation is this. If there's someone here that's lost, we'd be happy to show you Christ. We'll take you off to the side. Take, come to me, one of the elders, one of the, one of the ladies, and we'd be happy to show you Christ. Uh, if you just want to talk about something about Christ, we're here as well. That's the invitation. And we're ready to help bear one another's burdens. Let's end with a song.